Thanks, guys. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 today. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. So we're currently going through the book of Jonah. We're doing a series on it. And we've learned that it's not just about a man being swallowed by a fish. It's much more than that, right? What we've, what we've titled this series is God's Scandalous Grace. And this series has been amazing to see how God reveals his character through the story of the prophet Jonah. The book began with God calling Jonah to go and preach against the Ninevites because of their wickedness. So God calls Jonah to go, and Jonah says, no. Brandon's made that clear. And so he flees, in, he flees in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh by jumping aboard a ship and sailing into the Mediterranean towards Tarshish, trying to get as far away from Nineveh and God as he possibly could. Jonah's attempt to flee from the presence of God is futile, though. And we see God is with Jonah, working out his plan, even in the middle of the sea. God sends a storm at the ship that Jonah was on with the Gentile sailors. And these sailors are terrified of this storm. They're thinking they will all certainly die. So they're calling out to any and every God they could think of, trying to appease them so this storm would settle down and their ship wouldn't wreck at sea. While Jonah is down below, taking a nap. We get a better idea of what Jonah is attempting to do here. We're seeing that he would rather this ship with its entire company drown and die at sea than go back to what God had called Jonah to do. The sailors pick up on this too when they learn who Jonah is and that he's fleeing from the Lord. And they respond to him by saying, what is this you've done? Jonah, what is this you've done? These sailors are saying, Jonah, you've doomed us all. The sailors get it. And yet we see that after the sailors toss Jonah overboard as Jonah's own wish, God shows his scandalous grace to Jonah by sending a fish to swallow him. And while Jonah is inside this fish, he prays to the Lord because Jonah finally realizes that he's at the edge of death and what it's actually like as he was sinking into the depths of the sea. Jonah's prayer wasn't this humble repentance and confession of his sin. What his prayer was in chapter 2 was, God, save me because I'm going to die. And he was thankful for that. We see that. He says salvation comes from the Lord. But Jonah wasn't remorseful over his sin, over his decision to flee from the Lord. So we see that God wasn't done, done with Jonah or his prideful and selfish ways yet. God commands the fish, after three days and three nights, to vomit Jonah up onto shore. To vomit him up because God is disgusted by Jonah's pride and selfishness. And all this is setting Jonah up for round two to go, to go, to go and obey God's call of going to the city of Nineveh. And this time, we see that Jonah actually got up, and he went to the city of Nineveh. 
And the author clues us in that Nineveh is this huge, huge city, taking three days to cover by walking through it. So Jonah comes to Nineveh on the first day, and he delivers this following breathtaking message. Are you ready for this? In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That was it. But what happens next? What happens next? The men of Nineveh believed in God. And not only the men of Nineveh, but as Brandon shared last week, the king of Nineveh himself heard this message and it tugged on his heart and he humbly repents and submits to God. We see him, he gets up off of his throne and goes to sit in ashes wearing sackcloth, fasting and mourning over his sin. And he issues a decree for the entire city to do so as well in hope that God might relent from bringing the destruction he had threatened. In a day, God used Jonah's short little message to bring an entire Gentile city to repentance. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, right before chapter 4, we see God's scandalous grace and mercy in action. It says in verse 10, Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. What God had told Jonah in the very beginning of chapter 1, he relented from. And what's interesting is that after Jonah shares his successful five-second evangelistic sermon, we don't hear from him the rest of the chapter. It's all about we seeing the Ninevites responding to this message that Jonah shared from God. But now chapter 4 comes around. And we get to come back to Jonah for our text today. So I'm going to pray, and then let's see what Jonah thought of Nineveh's massive change of heart and God's mercy in relenting from the disaster he had threatened. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning that we can come together and worship you, that we can come and open up your word and study it and just learn what you have to say. Lord, I pray for our hearts and our minds that they can be opened and soft to your word, that your word can shape us and mold us more and more into you and your image. Lord, I pray that um, as we look through chapter 4 this morning, that you can just be speaking to our hearts and leading us to be closer and closer to you, relying on you and your scandalous grace and mercy. In your name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, is the passage we're going to be looking at today. So I'll read it real quick, and then we will dive into it and break it apart. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? 
Is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? God had just shown his mercy to thousands of Ninevites, and Jonah's only wish is that he would die right then, right there on the spot. Wow. Jonah is enraged, is he not? He's angry because God did something Jonah didn't think was right. In this moment, we see the scandal of God's mercy making Jonah furious. This is why we call God's mercy and grace scandalous, right? Scandalous means something causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. So Jonah, he is outraged by what he perceives as an offense against what he thinks is just or fair. For Jonah, the Ninevites are far too gone for God's mercy. God's mercy was supposed to be for God's covenant people, the Israelites, not their neighboring enemies that wage war against them. Jonah's thinking, why on earth would they ever receive mercy? Jonah's anger toward God takes us to our first point. Point number one, unrighteous anger will put you at odds with God's mercy. Unrighteous anger will put you at odds with God's mercy. I'm going to read verse 10 again and go into verse 1. It says, Then God saw their actions, of the Ninevites, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Jonah is an angry man right now. And this anger he's feeling, it's this emotion we feel when our expectation of justice isn't met. It's not fair. It's this emotion of great concern within us. It's not the simple feeling of passing things like, oh man, I didn't get to get ice cream today. I'm mad. Oh. No, when we feel the anger Jonah's feeling right now, it's because we have great concern. It's an emotional response to a sense of failed justice or missing righteousness. The Hebrew in verse 1 here of chapter 4 indicates that Jonah thought of God's dealings with Nineveh as quote-unquote evil or disastrous. That's what Jonah thought of God's actions. Verse 1 could be written this way, but Jonah considered this to be a terribly evil thing, what God had just relented from, and he burned with anger. Jonah's angry with God because of what God has done. And Jonah is placing himself in the judgment seat over God, calling out the God of the universe by saying he has done a terrible thing in saving the Ninevites from his threat of destruction. This anger, this sense of unmet justice, Jonah feels, is not a righteous anger. The emotion of anger in itself is not a sin. It's more about the reason behind the anger. For example, Jesus was very angry with the people using the temple courts as a marketplace in John chapter 2. And he started flipping tables and yelling at people to get out. This was righteous anger. It was in line with God's will. For Jonah, though, we find unrighteous anger. Anger towards God for not meeting Jonah's expectation of justice, regardless of what God's will was, because Jonah didn't care about that. He thought he knew what was best. 
And we find behind Jonah's anger a deep-rooted evil that needs to be addressed. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. Jonah hated the Ninevites. The last thing Jonah wanted to do was to associate with him. That's why he takes off in the first place, right? He just wants God to bring destruction on them and to get it over with. So Jonah had this expectation that God would follow through with his threat. But once the Ninevites repented, God relented from bringing destruction upon them. And this led to Jonah's sense of failed justice. And this put him at odds with God's mercy. This deep-rooted evil within Jonah's heart of his hatred of Nineveh is what led him to running away in the first place. And it has come back in full force now, rearing its ugly head with Jonah complaining to God. Unrighteous anger will put you at odds with God's mercy. This takes us to our second point. Our selfishness will not overcome God's plan. Our selfishness will not overcome God's plan. I'm going to read the first part of verse 2. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. In chapter 4, verse 2, we finally get the answer as to why Jonah fled from God and Nineveh in the first place. Jonah was not scared of the Ninevites. He was not afraid to preach about threats of destruction. If anything, that's what Jonah wanted to go and do. The reason why Jonah fled in the first place is because he knew God. He knew that if he went and preached to the Ninevites and gave them the opportunity to respond to this message from God, he risked the possibility of the Ninevites repenting and being forgiven by God. This was the last thing that Jonah wanted to happen. For him, a foreign nation that was not part of the covenant people of Israel should never receive what God has graciously given to them. So in chapter 1, Jonah takes off in selfishness, trying to overcome God's plan of possibly granting mercy toward the Ninevites, the, Jonah, the people that Jonah despised. And what we see through the rest of the story up to this point now is that Jonah's selfishness could not overcome God's plan. God would not allow Jonah's way to overcome what he had called him to do in the first place, to go and preach against the city of Nineveh. And what's even crazier about all of this is that God didn't kill Jonah for his disobedience as a prophet. There's another account of a prophet in 1 Kings 13 who was killed for disobeying God because he ate some bread and drank some water that God told him not to. A prophet was killed over that, and Jonah is still standing. Jonah runs away from what God calls him to do. He takes a ship, tries to get himself killed by drowning in the ocean, being as disobedient to God as he possibly could, and God says, nice try. Nice try, Jonah. Jonah could not overcome what God had planned from the start. He could not take control from God and somehow change what God intended to do. God's plan for Jonah could not be stopped by Jonah's selfish flight from him. 
And our own sinful and selfish ways will not stop God from accomplishing, accomplishing what he has planned either. Perhaps God has called you to something that you don't want to see the outcome of because it goes against what you selfishly desire. Be warned, though, as we see here with Jonah, God will not let our selfishness overcome his plan. This takes us to our third point. God's grace and mercy extends to everyone. God's grace and mercy extends to everyone. The second part of verse 2 says this. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Jonah knew God quite well. And in this second part of verse 2, he's actually quoting what God had said to Moses about himself in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. So go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 34 real quick so we can see what God originally said of himself to Moses. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34 in verse 6 says, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed to Moses, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Jonah expresses his frustration with God by quoting these divine attributes first said here in Exodus 34. And notice how he focuses specifically on God's divine attributes of mercy. He quotes these attributes because these he sees as being in conflict with divine justice in the present case of dealing with Nineveh. Jonah was distressed to discover that these divine attributes of mercy, which quoted in other places in the Old Testament, are expressed in disposition towards Israel, are now being expressed in disposition towards Nineveh. Jonah could not make sense of Israel's merciful God extending the same mercies towards Israel's enemy. The Hebrew idea behind this word for merciful too, just to rub it in Jonah's face a little bit more, is one who cares for people tenderly and compassionately, as a mother would care for her own child. That's the word used to describe God's divine mercy here. And these are the mercies that God has just extended to Nineveh. And this makes Jonah outraged. How could Israel's God care so much for the wicked city of Nineveh. What God has revealed to Jonah and what he's revealing to us is that his grace and mercy extend to everyone, not just the people Jonah likes or the people that we like. That's why John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved Israel that he gave his one and only son, or that for God so loved America that he gave his one and only son. No, what God 
says is that he so loved the world. He so loved everyone that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What Jonah has pridefully done is he's created this distinction between normal, typical sinners like himself and the oh-so-wicked sinners of Nineveh. Jonah believes there's us who mess up every once in a while, you know? We're a little rough around the edges. And then there's those people who are just terrible, bad, bad people. Bad. And we do the same thing to this very day. Just look at what's happening in our own country. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and KKK members, and these people claim to be Christians too, are actively protesting against other races, believing that they are somehow superior and these other races are inferior and not deserving of what they have. And Hopefully, we would never associate with these groups. But even we have people in mind that we hope God doesn't show mercy to. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a teacher you have, or a relative, or your own spouse, or your own kids. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the transients that come through in the summer. Regardless of who it is, we have a problem in our heart, just like Jonah does with the Ninevites. And what Jonah fails to see is that he is no different than a Ninevite. He is just as wicked and just as desperate for God's forgiveness. And the same goes for us as well. This takes us to point number four. God's mercy is scandalous. God's mercy is scandalous. I'm going to read verse 3. It says, Jonah's praying, And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to die than to live right now. Jonah could not stand living in a world in which people like the Ninevites could be forgiven by God. Jonah's so offended by God's mercy and grace that he no longer wants to live. He's saying, over my dead body, God. That's his fierce response to God's grace. And this is all because Jonah doesn't like the scandal of God's mercy. And He is completely blind to the scandal of God continuously showing him mercy upon mercy. It didn't anger Jonah when God saved him from his sin. It didn't anger Jonah when God blessed Israel, even though they were unrepentant of their sin. But it angered Jonah when God saved Nineveh. This was scandalous. When God saves sinners and treats the guilty as if they are guilt-free, it is scandalous. This is true for Nineveh, this is true for Jonah, and this is true for me and for you. It is scandalous. God has saved us wretched sinners 
from condemnation and eternal separation from him through sacrificing his son by death on a cross, bearing the weight of the world's sin so that we could have new life, so that we could be forgiven and restored in relationship with God. This is scandalous grace, guys. So what needs to happen in Jonah's heart and our own hearts for when we'd rather die than live and see God show scandalous mercy and grace to those we hate? What needs to happen in Jonah's heart and our own hearts? We need to forgive those people in view of God forgiving us. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It's just a few books after Jonah. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus uh, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he is speaking to his disciples and the crowds around him, and this is what he says just after talking about how people should pray. He says, For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father, your heavenly Father, will not forgive your wrongdoing. Jesus is not telling us how to earn God's forgiveness here. That's not what's going on. What he's telling us is that someone who is unforgiving is so unfamiliar with God's grace that it is fundamentally inconsistent for one to be forgiven by God and yet hold grudges against others. We forgive out of thankfulness for God graciously forgiving us in the first place. We forgive others because we are aware that we have received a far greater and far more costly forgiveness through the blood of Jesus himself. And when we understand the scandalous grace and mercy God has shown us individually, in no way can we withhold forgiveness to others. To do so would indicate a hardened heart and that we have not truly partaken in the God's saving mercy. So, evaluate your heart. Who in your mind is beyond receiving forgiveness and mercy? And wrestle with that, bearing in mind what God sacrificed to forgive you. This should always lead us to forgiving others, regardless of the circumstances. This takes us to our final point, point number five. God's will is what we should desire. God's will is what we should desire. Back to Jonah chapter 4. In verse 4, <clears throat> after Jonah has ranted at God with his anger and fury, God responds and says, The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? Jonah has delivered this angry prayer to God, and now we get to see how God responds. And could you imagine being in God's shoes at this moment? You have this 
tiny little stubborn prophet who thinks he knows everything, and you gave him a task to do, and here he is, infuriated with how you handled the situation. Like I said earlier, Jonah is so lucky to be standing here and complaining before God right now, which just goes to show how slow to anger and compassionate and merciful God is. And Jonah's so blind to it. So how does God respond? By asking a short and simple question. Is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? This question throws Jonah completely off of his high horse. Another translation puts the question this way. Have you any right to be angry? God's saying, give me one good reason. Just one. God makes it clear to Jonah that his preconceived ideas of justice fall flat when confronted with God himself. Jonah is not the creator and ruler of life. He has no authority to make the claims he's making. And most of all, he's lacked an understanding for the depth of God's love for all of humanity, not just Israel. Jonah has forgotten the fact that God promised Abraham, the father of Israel, that his descendants, that Israel itself, would, ought, should ought to be a blessing to all peoples on the earth. That's what it says in Genesis 12, 3. God makes this covenant with Abraham and says, by your descendants, you will be a blessing to all nations. And Jonah could care less. Jonah had constricted the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham to Israel only, missing what God had intended from the beginning, to use Israel as a blessing to all peoples, to show the world that there is a gracious God who is slow to anger and rich in love, forgiving people of their sins. Jonah's will did not line up with God's will, and God is calling Jonah out. This all comes down to a clash of competing wills, Jonah versus God. And unfortunately, we don't really get to see the outcome of this clash and whether Jonah repented and submitted to God's will. But we sure do get to learn from Jonah's argument with God here. Because it's easy to feel like we have this quote-unquote sovereign will sometimes in life, right? That whatever we desire comes about, that our will is supreme and authoritative, we want to do something, and we do it. We want to get something, and we get it. But then we come full speed into the solid wall of God's truly sovereign will. And after having so much come so easily to us, and just thinking, I command my life, we can easily be furious with God, questioning him and his will, because we think we know what's best, right? And we've all experienced this in life. Perhaps it's with a career choice or trying to get a certain job or wanting to be married or wanting to achieve something or get the house you've dreamed of or to get into the college of your choice. Whatever aspiration, whatever that thing is that you've wanted so much in life, we've probably all come and hit that wall of God's sovereign will and we weren't happy about it. But then we can picture God asking us, as he did Jonah. 
is it right for you to be angry? And we have a choice in this instance. And what we should desire is God's will above our own will. Because God's will is always bigger and always better than ours. And we should bend our will in submission to his. We need to pray as Jesus taught in Matthew 6.10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be the prayer that we are constantly praying. Your will be done, not my own. Your kingdom come, not mine. Otherwise, we're just going to continue on in unrighteous anger like Jonah. And as we can see, that's not an enjoyable experience. Jonah wants to die. Our desire should be God's will above our own. God's will above our own. To wrap it up this morning, I found an awesome uh, hymn that was referenced in one of the commentaries I used when I was prepping for this. And I thought it would be a really good way to wrap it up this morning. It's titled, We Have Not Known Thee As We Ought. We Have Not Known Thee As We Ought. And I'm just going to read the first line of it because it's very applicable to what we've covered today in terms of God's will versus our own and thinking we know what's best. And I included it on the bottom of the notes. If you have the notes in the bulletin, it says this if you want to follow along. We have not known thee as we ought or learned thy wisdom, grace, and power. The things of earth have filled our thought and trifles of the passing hour. Lord, give us thy light, thy truth to see, and make us wise, knowing thee. Our desire should be God's will above our own. Let's stand up together and pray. Lord, I thank you that we could come together this day and just worship you and fellowship. God, you are such a gracious and merciful God. It is a scandal, and I just we say thank you. You are so good to us, so forgiving, so compassionate, and so slow to anger. Lord, I pray that you can just work on our hearts, work on the people we have a hard time forgiving right now, Lord. Soften our hearts towards them. Teach us how to forgive as you first forgave us, Lord. And help us ultimately to submit our will to yours, for your will is far better than ours could ever be. In your name we pray, amen.